Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. And this is a turning point, Isaiah chapter 39. This is the last chapter before things change a lot in the book of Isaiah. We've been talking about it. The first 39 chapters seem to be focusing on the Assyrian crisis. You know, the Assyrians coming up to Jerusalem and threatening to take the city and threatening it with siege and all the rest, and God has to intervene miraculously to spare this last little remnant of Judah. But this is this really ominous chapter where Isaiah says, okay, Hezekiah, things are going to be good for you, but not so good for your sons and the ones coming after you. The Babylonians, they're coming. And it's not going to happen for like, you know, over a hundred years. But um, when it does, wow, it's going to be a disaster. And so then the rest of the book of Isaiah deals with that. So a very big turning point, a short scene. It's only eight verses long. But a very important chapter, um, the whole book literally hinges on it. And as we go through these eight, chap eight verses in this chapter, looking at the details here, we are going to be asking some questions like, hang on, why is Babylon even here? Like, what, what's going on? What, what's their motivation? Uh, why is Hezekiah showing him all these things? And we're joined today by Pastor John Schenk to help us answer some of these questions. He's pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. But today he's here in the studio. Welcome and good morning, brother. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be here. It's great to always to study with you and uh, and to and to be in God's Word with God's people. Amen. Likewise. And I am always impressed when someone uh, makes the trek to the studio, even despite um, the weather. <laughs> yeah. Well, the weather's not too bad today. The weather's not bad today yeah. and all the roads are nice and kids are back to school. We had a, a day off in our area. Uh, school day did not happen yesterday. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you like to do on those snow days, brother? I like to go. I like to go to work. It's very quiet. We have a school, <laughs> so when we don't have school, one someone's got to do some shoveling and uh, put down some ice that's uh, melt and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. But then it's a nice quiet day to get some things done. So uh, yeah, yeah, as the yeah. kids get breakfast with mom at home, I'm I'm I'm, I'm off to work. Yeah, it's not yeah. Uh, I, I, I get not you. so bad. You know, like <clears throat> those, those quiet those quiet lulls are, are valuable moments to try to seize the opportunity and catch up on some things, get ahead of some things too, right? Yeah, and uh, Southern Illinois, which we're a part of in my area, I know we're broadcasting from Missouri, but Southern Illinois, right. you know, we might get some ice and some snow and things like that, but. Usually by the afternoon, things are melting pretty quick. So um, the roads get get nice, but uh, it's good to have the day off for the kids. Keeps them safe, but we can get back to work pretty quickly. Good, 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 good things all around. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's go ahead and, and dive into this here. And as we do, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening today? Yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this day in a word of prayer, we ask for your guidance. We ask you, O oh Lord, to guide us away from every sense of pride that would help us to only focus in on ourselves, um, and it would lead us away from our trust only in you. 
be with us so that we can turn from ourselves to be turned to Jesus. Help us, O Lord, to see in him all the answers we need for this life and for the life to come, answered in the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. So here we are, chapter 39. Um, you know, just yesterday we we're looking at chapter 38, and we, we already looked at that. I mean, it's a, it's a very cool chapter. It's got those two parts to it. The kind of first part, the narrative of, um, we, we, we talked about that, and this is going to come up again today, the timing of all of this. And it seems like this is a flashback to before the whole, everything went down with Assyria to when Hezekiah was sick. Um, and how he was at the point really even of death. Um, and he does get this sign that he's going to be healed. And then the rest of the chapter is this psalm that he sings. Um, any thoughts about, you know, the, what we've looked at already in chapter 38, how it uh, plays into what we have here in this chapter? Yeah, I, I would agree that there, I mean, it doesn't, if someone is struggling with the the timing and and everything, it really doesn't stop the interpretation and 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 the under the greater understanding of what the Lord has given to us. But it does appear to, like you said, to be a bit of a flashback because um, with Sennacherib, the 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 outpouring of of the storehouses, and right. then here there is stuff <laughs> in the storehouses to show right. off. Um, yes. So um, there appears to be that. But if we're if we're struggling with that kind of interpretation of timing, it doesn't stop us from um, from learning a lot still from this chapter just as a flow, right? Because mm-hmm. um, we can still look at it and see um, um, what what is happening and what the Lord is doing. But yeah, we have last yesterday's text with uh 38 mm-hmm. with everything that uh Hezekiah had to go through and it does it does have some application points to our time and our day and maybe even to our person how quick it is for us when the when the clouds roll in the snow is falling and we are are nervous about our day and uh about our safety and our well-being how quick we are to pray and then when the snow goes away and the and the sun comes out how quick we are forget to pray and to forget the source of our deliverance and our salvation it seems seems to be a common problem for us as human beings uh because it seems like that's what happens to Hezekiah too yeah, we're, and that's. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because I think we're going to have to spend a good chunk of time trying to uh, figure out and put our finger on that because just what exactly is going on in Hezekiah's mind is, I mean, it, it's not really totally clear. Even the last thing he says, there's kind of a different couple ways of taking sure. it. So, uh, but yeah, that that's definitely, I think, you know, as as we've talked about before, when you're reading these stories in the Bible, you can put yourself in their shoes and kind of see how it reflects on that, that common human condition, just like you were saying, that that's in all of us that we all can relate to. So trying to figure out what exactly, what how, how exactly is Hezekiah thinking and, and processing all of this? So Yeah, we can definitely look at it as Jesus calls us to in the Gospels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, repent, right? What's the right. answer when we see calamity in the world? Uh, repent. And it's like, but so they were worse. Uh, no, I just said repent, right? So we have to see these things as as they are, and we can dissect, you know, what uh, particular sins were were plaguing Hezekiah. 
But then I, I think it is a good call from the Lord to to see our own sin in the midst of it, um, be called back to faithfulness and to um, to the encouragement which will come in the in the in the latter chapters to come. Right. Yes. De- yeah. Definitely. You have to. Yeah, and we'll take maybe a minute, too, at the end, hopefully, to kind of talk about how that does flow into the very next chapter, which starts with the word comfort, like you were just saying. All right, well, let's go ahead and look at, you know, it's almost hard to kind of take this in pieces just because it is so uh, short, but let's go ahead, perhaps, and just maybe look at uh, the first verse here and just uh, consider this little small piece, what's going on here. So this is chapter 39 verse 1 in the English Standard Version. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. So this first sentence ends up, I think, being really important for how you read what follows. Why are these envoys from Babylon showing up to King Hezekiah? And uh, it kind of, it depends on really, or actually maybe a lot of it just depends on how we're translating this, but your thoughts, what do you think of this first verse? What, what Babylon's up to here? Yeah. And if we take that, the individual mentioned here, this King and understand um, his come into power and then he, is no longer in power and then comes back. So there's some dating issues there too that cause us to um, not struggle, but wonder about the placement within the the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's in power 721 to 710-ish in that time frame, and then 703, you know, he's coming back into power. So um, that kind of plays a factor in the... Um, is is he outside of power and and still king of Babylon, uh, but not not reigning at that moment, and then coming back and he's gaining, trying to gain some support in that, or has he mm. now come into power knowing that he's going to have to fight Assyria? And that's kind of more where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to have to fight Assyria um, and trying to gain support in that, um, and so he's coming now. Also, mm-hmm. it talks about. Um, his sickness and his right. recovery. Right. So that's a good uh, diplomatic entrance into uh, negotiations and, and support and uh, um, a, a more uh, uh, advantageous relationship between these two nations against a common enemy, Assyria. Right? right? So he can come to him and say, oh, you know, uh, or send envoy to them, an ambassador, and uh, say, well, you know, it's great that you have recovered, you know, and uh, and look for um, an opening to a better relationship in which they can join forces. But there's another yeah. thing that comes up in Chronicles. So Second Chronicles, mm-hmm. um, it talks about uh, Babylon and um See, you know, having heard of um, the sign, so here it's mentioned his his illness, but it's I, I don't think there's any contradiction here that the scriptures also mention that Babylon knows of the sign, and and I'm sure you talked about the sign yesterday. 
Right. Yeah. And it was as, as difficult as it is to kind of exactly put your finger on what exactly that, that sign means, you know, like turning uh, steps back down on this dial, this stairwell, whatever that exactly is. But right. I, I think that you're just right that so much the difficulty with understanding this verse is that there's three different versions of it in the Bible. <laughs> and you've got this one here in Isaiah. You've got the one in Second Kings chapter 20. Um, and then you've also got the version that's in Second Chronicles 32. And um, each of those, it's, it's kind of like the four Gospels, right, is giving you a different perspective on the same events. And the, the thing that's kind of tricky um, is, is that we, we know actually, and it's interesting how um, in Second Kings chapter 20, actually, at the end of the chapter, it's like, aren't all these things written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? Um, and you're like, hang on, what, what book is that? <laughs> so, so like, apparently there was yet like another book at some point that had all these things written down. So there's a couple different perspectives on all this stuff that happened, you know, and that's just normal. They're real life events. And so typically when something happens in real life, lots of people. D describe and retell the story, um, not just one single person. So the, the the tension then is between the slight differences. And I think one of the things that's going on is that our English translations are trying to smooth out those differences. Because in Second Kings, it says, he sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Like you were saying, kind of as if he's like, hmm, he's sick. Well, well, why don't we send him a present? And hey, maybe this is our in, right? This is our opening, right? Um, whereas actually here in Isaiah, in chapter 39 of Isaiah, it doesn't actually say for he had heard that he had been sick. It actually says, and then he heard that he had been sick and had recovered as if, you know, really it was just like, Hey, I'm going to go send these guys and try to get a deal, try to get them to join my rebellion. I do think you're right. That's absolutely what, um, this Baladon guy is up to. Um, and then it was just when he shows up, he, he hears about it just like, Oh, and you were sick. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, so kind of like a more incidental thing. So, so yeah, but there are, there do seem to be like these like slight differences between, uh, the two different accounts. But I think I think you're right in talking about nuance, right? So one account can be drawing out maybe a, um, if the sign, like we hear in Second Chronicles, is known, is something that um, is, uh, is, gr is a greater sign in, in the area, right? <clears throat> or, or at least the fame of the sign goes out. This would also then be a, a person of interest um, that you would want to seek out because if if his, even if they're not a believer, right, if his God has this kind of power to grant signs and he's a person who uh, his God speaks to him in signs, well, that's a person I want to um, to get on my side. Um, right. So it's I think it definitely is nuance that speaks to He's going to be seeking help. I want that guy's kind of help. But when I go to him, I'm going to then be saying, um, 
niceties and platitudes about his recovery or, you know, I want, you know, maybe who knows about the timing of finding out, but, um, that's, that's the in, or at least that's the outward, uh, description that that's going to be said to the King, but the internal dialogue is also the knowledge of the sign. So neither one is contradictory. Um, they're just nuance of the perspective of, of what's going behind the motivation. So. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there's definitely like a way to like kind of harmonize it all. And, and, you, yeah. and you say something along the lines of like, you know, he hears a little bit about this sign. He hears a little bit about this sickness. And he's like, okay, when we show up, we better not show up empty handed, right? Not that he would have, right? No. But um, that he takes a, a particular particular care um, in the way that he, they present themselves. And then when he shows up, he gets the details yeah. about how he actually oh okay like it was always oh, like that was that bad um yeah. and, and they tell him um, themselves he gets the story straight from the horse's mouth and he's also told presumably about this sign um in more detail right right so i mean like you can definitely kind of appreciate how it's not actually that hard to see like how all these things can fit together um but in the end i think when you do kind of put all the pieces together i do think you're left with this idea just like you were saying Clearly, the visit was not just to satisfy his curiosity or about the sign or just to be nice and say, like, hey, let me, you know, give you a present to help you feel better. Clearly, the guy wants an alliance. He, he wants Judah right. to join the rebellion against Syria. He is um, uh, he's not a magi. He's a Herod. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, he's a, he's going to use the opportunity and it's like the children of this world are more shrewd, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. He is more shrewd than Hezekiah is. And they they definitely outmaneuver him politically. Yeah. Yeah, no. Th- th- this is this is this is all political maneuvering and posturing at the end of the day, you know, despite all the the nice smiles and presents or whatever. That's what's going on here. And I mean, it's not surprising because this is like what we've seen the entire book so far, right? You know, it was originally in the very beginning, right? What was going on? It was like, well, um, you know, Assyria is coming, Assyria is coming, and there's Syria and Ephraim that are, you know, going to Judah being like, hey, join our alliance against Assyria. And he's like, forget about that. And then there's an alliance, you know, against them. And then he goes to, they go off to Egypt to try to make an alliance. And, you know, then we're going to find out, of course, um, you know, later on as we did, you know, that the thing with Egypt doesn't really work out very well. And now there's, so the whole thing has been just like alliances, alliances, alliances. Um, and and where's your hope in God? Exactly. Yeah. Where are your your hope in God? Yeah. And where have your eyes been? You know, and we get to see it. Personally, with Hezekiah, where has your eyes been gazing in hope? And um, yeah, it's been a con. He hasn't learned from um, Ahaz. He hasn't learned from the things that came before. Um, so his hope is in definitely in the wrong place. Yeah, and, and I think that's actually that's actually the key here, which is kind of discouraging, right? Because in, in chapter thirty-eight, you know. You know, there, there's Hezekiah. He's, he's sick. Um, you know, Isaiah gives him this, this grim, you know, uh, command, set your house in order for you shall die. You shall not recover, right? Um, it's judgment against Hezekiah for, you know, the way that the kings of Judah have just been trusting in anything but the Lord and trying to make every kind of alliance, right? 
and and he goes and he repents right and he and he hears uh god hears his prayer like through his tears right and so you think to yourself like oh okay hezekiah is repenting like he's learned his lesson you know like hooray like finally there's like a good king who gets it right but then like just like you were saying it does seem like in, in the very next scene here he is going back to like Oh, a Babylonian alliance? Like, like, like he's just back to the way he was. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, and um, and his deliverance was so clearly from the Lord, and yeah. he rejoiced. You know, there is a rejoicing in God's grace, and yet the moment that he can look look down, he's uh, squarely looking at some other place for hope. And that's uh, it's pretty tra you know it's it's a tragedy, right? Right. Um, and a tragedy that we too often can fall into. Right. Well, and I, and I think it just shows that you know as many good things as we've seen throughout Isaiah about Hezekiah, right? I mean, we've seen lots of good things. I mean, Hezekiah yeah. is described. I mean, in, in I mean, in truly messianic terms, like he's a he's a type of Christ. You know the way the way that God works through him, and the way that He is going to you know tear down the the different altars <laughs> where there's mixed religion and mixed worship of God going on, and the way that He's going to try to be faithful to what's written in Scripture, right? I mean, to His credit, a lot better than His fathers, right? Right. right. But still, definitely not the Messiah with a capital M. Yeah, there's a whole lot of difference between the type and we get to see it with all different people Moses and all different kinds of leaders of Israel where it's like wow that they were very faithful this is uh this is an amazing act of return to the Lord and yet <laughs> and yet there's a difference between um holy pure Jesus holy sinless Jesus holy faithful Jesus and and uh, these servants who also need to be redeemed by Jesus, right? Absolutely, right. Just just like us, mm -hmm. and we can we can see see ourselves in, in that in that boat, and how we know in our own lives that you know God does these good things for us and pulls us out of these bad situations. Um, you know, teaches us a lesson. You know, we we come home from church on Sunday and we think to ourselves, "Wow, I finally get this. I finally understand it now." <laughs> right, yeah. and then like Monday. It's like we go right back to the thing that we we had done before. You know, it's just um, we 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 have that experience. You know, any any Christian who's you know like older than age seven like knows what that's like. I'm glad you can make it to Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's right. I know, right? It's like Good Sunday afternoon. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh. Sometimes, in, yeah, yeah, when we're leaving from the rail, we're being yeah. reminded how much we needed it. No, um, and how much we need him absolutely. and how much his covering over us is our righteousness because apart from him, I am not righteous. Right. So, so yeah, so it's an interesting thing then, um, the way that Hezekiah is described here and, and it actually is very fitting, um, in the context that there's this flashback because yeah, this is all occurring before God goes and saves Jerusalem, you know, and as, as we saw like in chapter 37, that description of, you know, making Assyria just to be like a tamed animal and turning him around like a horse with a bit in its mouth, right? He's going to do that. Um, he's going to do that in like those miraculous ways, that combination, um, of miracles, right? Both of, um, changing the heart 
of the Assyrians um, by making them uh, scared when they hear about that rumor and also um, just putting them into disarray when the angel of the Lord strikes strikes down thousands in their camp, um, that the combination sends them back. That's all going to happen. But before that salvation happens, you get this really ominous note because Isaiah is going to speak a word of judgment for this sin in Hezekiah's heart. That's what we're going to get back to after our break. Everybody hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 39 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. KFUO listeners, what's one of the most important things in life? Your health. You need to be well to serve well. So if you're in the Concordia Health Plan, now is the time to choose your 2020 benefits. From now through November 15th, go to your personal member portal at concordiaplans.org and sign up for your health care, retirement savings plan, supplemental life insurance, and accident benefits. Sign up now through November 15th. Don't miss out. Did you know that many LCMS military personnel and their families are unable to receive Word and Sacrament ministry due to the lack of LCMS chaplains? Ministry to the Armed Forces is looking for pastors who will answer the call to serve as a chaplain to provide Word and Sacrament ministry to the men and women who selflessly serve our nation. Find out more about this exciting ministry by contacting me, Chaplain Craig Mueller, at lcmschaps at lcms.org. That is lcmschaps at lcms.org. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in. You'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 39, this pivotal chapter, this moment where we see that Hezekiah, just like us, just needs grace renewed to him every day because even after he repents and has this, you know, what we, we think is a change of heart, right, here he is falling right back into his old ways. Um, and we're about to get this really ominous word from Isaiah, which is going to set up the whole rest of the book, all the rest of the chapters up through chapter 66 in just a minute here. As you're listening to us here, we, uh, we're joined here by Pastor John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois, in the studio with us. If you've got a question for me or Pastor Shank, please do go ahead and send in your questions via email or by calling in. You can email KFUO at KFUO.org, or you can call 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, you can call 314-821-0850. So, yes, we're going to get this really ominous word. Uh, it's it's judgment. And um, I know, brother, you were mentioning the the, the cross passage in, um, in Chronicles. And in Second Chronicles, 
it actually just makes it explicit. Like this is a moment that God, um, he's like, okay, um, well, Hezekiah, let, let's see how you do. This is a moment of testing, right? To see what's in his heart. And he fails the test. And this, this is why then Isaiah is going to say what he says next. Amen. All right, so let's read then the next little portion here. I'm actually going to read most of it. I'm going to save the bit at the very end, though, um, for our consideration. Um, but let's go ahead and get the bulk here, what Isaiah says, the prediction. So here it is, picking up at verse 2. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. He showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah, and he said to them, said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that's in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I didn't show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon." Wow. And so just like that, the the whole book has been, you know, Isaiah's predictions of of uh, doom and destruction from the Assyrians. But here in chapter 39, we actually get this prediction that it's all going to happen with Babylon of a long, far off time in the future, long after uh, Hezekiah and Isaiah die. Um, this is going to take place. Yeah. And we're normally thinking of when we hear Babylon, like that's the one. Right? right, that's the the big guy on scene, but they're not, they're not here. Not here. So uh, to hear him jump over right into Babylon uh, definitely gives us the understanding that that um, that Isaiah is not speaking just of his own um, wisdom. Right, he's not just saying, "Hey, I, I'm smart." That that was a really dumb thing to do. They're going to come in and defeat you because they're Babylon. We all know Babylon. No, right. no, no one. I mean, the, Babylon is known, but they're not known as we know them as Babylon, as the the conquering uh, country, a nation, people that that conquered the world, uh, the known world. Right. That that's not them yet. So no. um, this is definitely a word from the Lord. Yeah, I mean that that's really it's an important point that at this time, yeah, this guy he's a part of a rebellion. And uh, I mean, because I don't know, it seems like Babylon basically is in two states. They are either <laughs> they are either in charge or they are leading a rebellion to get back in charge, right? Like right. it's just it's one of the two. Um, they're they're never really um, in their history like just loyal subjects that are you know just going to like kind of take it and, and uh, grin. So there there is this this. Um, you know, this thrust, I guess, that like, yeah, we're going to, you know, try to take over the uh, the land and win this back from the Assyrians. You know, they took it from us. And so that's, um, you know, that's that's in the air and that's what everyone's talking about. But to say that, like, they're going to be successful, <laughs> um, 
that I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I suppose that there are some people who m might have said, well, it's inevitable, like the Assyrian Empire can't last forever, perhaps. But um, I don't know how likely it would have been at the time. Like, I don't know if your odds would have been too great. You know, it's uh, an election year that no one saw coming anyway. Right. And then, I mean, depending on how the timing works out, either he's going to lose to Assyria yeah. Or he had just previously lost, mm -hmm. um, so he's uh, he's definitely uh, not not picking the uh, the leading candidate. Yeah. Um, so God is at work um, to to bring the people to know that he's going to um, he's he's the one who is in charge of all this. Yeah, which is really interesting to to think about that. Like you know, here's you know. <sighs> Isn't that something, right? Like, so Hezekiah has been chastised for his faith in Egypt, right? That, you know, that they have been appealing to the one superpower to play off against the other, right? And, you know, he, he got sick and he had to repent, right? And so it's like, okay, you'd think that he's done with this now. And then he goes and he's like, oh, but maybe I can get something going with Babylon. Babylon's no Egypt. I mean, Babylon right. is like some tiny fraction of the power of Egypt. So, I mean, if Egypt didn't cut it, why is he thinking that Babylon's going to be able to, you know, I mean, perhaps he's, I mean, I mean, the only thing I can say is that like, this just means that in his heart, he actually didn't really ever give up on Egypt and that he's still basically um, in the mode of thinking of if he just pulls in just enough allies, you know, if he just has like, you know, if he can get as many of them in his corner as he can, then maybe he can get out of this um, and that he's, and, and, and I guess really, I mean, this is sort of what seems to be confirmed because when, when you get to, um, as we saw in Isaiah chapter 37, um, when you get to like the final confrontation with the Assyrians, the, the Egyptians are up there um, like fighting like on, on behalf of the, of the Judeans. So it, it's not like Hezekiah ever called off the deal and was like, hey, Egypt, just don't send them. We're going to trust in the Lord. That didn't ever seem to actually come about. And, and here, uh, I mean, the testing is happening right where his greatest weakness is, right? Yeah. Um, his pride and what his hope is going to be in. And so that another nation would seek him out. Um, that's, uh, that's a test, right? And, um, he received them gladly. So, um, I, I think that that's the, that's definitely the struggle for him that another nation would come to him and seek his, uh, participation that, that definitely seek, that definitely is giving him status and, and honor. Sure among the nations but his place his name his status is not among the nations and that's like the continual uh drawback to the lord it's like your place is not there why are your eyes seeking their approval seek me right and uh that's that's definitely his test and he's going to i mean obviously he fails it yeah and in particular right so he he shows them everything and mm -hmm. that's what Isaiah asks about Isaiah is like okay where were these guys from you know it kind of feels like he's being interrogated by his dad or something and where where where's where this boy from right yeah <laughs> um and then and then so what'd you do with them right um and and he's like you know like well I, I showed him everything right and in particular why is this so 
troubling to Isaiah that Hezekiah showed him everything. Like, well, why is why is Hezekiah showing him everything, and why is that so bad? Maybe someone's thinking to themselves, like, I don't know. Like, Hezekiah is just a good host. He, he gave him the tour. What's so <laughs> what's so bad? You know, I yeah. mean, like, isn't that just standard procedure? I mean, we have when White people, House tours. Yeah, right? when people so, come over, I show yeah. them my, uh, yeah, my cellar or whatever. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, but. Uh, it's. I, I also think it's interesting that he doesn't answer the first question. <laughs> he ignores the first question. What mm. did they say to you? How did? And I. I think there's something there. I definitely understand both these questions. Similarly to um, God coming to Adam. Adam, where are you? Uh, mm. To uh, to uh, Nathan, the prophet coming to to David and uh, confronting him in his sin. So he's not here to, uh, he's not really trying to gather information. He's drawing out a confession. What did you do? Yeah, yeah. What did you do? Right. And um, no, he doesn't answer the first thing because I think maybe that's even too too hard for him to confess right now. Mm. Um, because I, I definitely believe that they were trying to uh, woo him, as you kind of are, are saying. They're wooing, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, uh, they're courting him and he falls to their courting and now he's sh- he's shown out um he's trying to uh to show off his greatness and that's the negative side of what'd you do what'd you show him he didn't he didn't take him to the temple and say that's our hope now you can go home now he didn't do that he didn't say come here let me show you what my hope is and read to him the word of the lord he didn't do that what did he do? He showed him his treasury, his gold, his his uh, armory. Uh, that's where your hope is, isn't it? And it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be taken from you. Right. And in particular, you can you can imagine, right, that if they're talking about striking up an alliance of some kind, Hezekiah, it's in his interests to go and to show the extent of his power and wealth because he wants favorable terms in the alliance, right? And and he wants Babylon to be like, okay, yeah, no, these guys seem strong. We're going to go ahead and make an alliance with them, right? I mean, so he he is, I mean, um, uh, I mean, he's trying to sell himself. He's selling himself here yeah. to, to the Babylonians, right? Which has and, a pretty double word, right? You know, it's like he is selling himself to the wrong people. Exactly. And that's just the thing, right? And so this is the moment then where we see so often in Scripture and especially in Isaiah how God's like, oh, so you want to sell yourself to the Babylonians. Okay, then I'm going to go ahead and let you do that. That's what's right. going to happen, right? Right. Like, oh, you want you want you want Babylon to see all this stuff, and you know you want them like this is all going to go to Babylon to support their cause. Okay, it's all going to Babylon then. I mean, I mean, the the punishment that I, that Isaiah describes, like all this stuff is going to go off to Babylon. It's basically just what Hezekiah was implying mm-hmm. when he was speaking to the delegation. He's like, yeah, guys, all, all this is yours. You know, we're, we're, we're right lockstep behind you. You know, we're with you. And, and God's like, oh, really? Okay, fine. Then if, if you want to go with Babylon so bad, then off you go. Yeah. And that's like, that's the hardest word there is because he's, he's washing his hands. He's removing his hand of blessing and, and turning, um, turning from him. Uh, thanks be to God. He doesn't turn from his promise from Messiah and so he keeps a remnant, but there's definitely a word of judgment for him and his descendants here. 
Right. And, and, and so, and so the word of judgment that we get, it's interesting. This is not the, the, the full extent of the judgment because this doesn't mention the total destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem. It's particularly talking about the exile. And we, we know that this happened in phases. And then when Babylon finally does show up after gaining power, ousting the Assyrians, right? Um, like, oh, this is all over a hundred years later. Um, the first time they show up, they're going to deport the king and his sons and some of the, the leading officials and the aristocracy. They're going to do that. It's going to happen in waves. And it's only like the second or the third time that they show up that they finally are like, okay, we're just leveling this place. Um, so it, what's interesting is that this does seem to be Isaiah predicting the start of all of what's going to happen um, without going into like the full picture yeah and um uh and how and who um is kind of interesting because you know when it talks about your sons well it's clear that it's not well his immediate son has some some issues yeah. um that you'll have well um that will be uh kind of talked about in other uh in other studies if you right. go to different books mm -hmm. um but uh here it's more understanding of your sons as in descendants right uh so further descendants will have to deal with it though there's some Im immediate implications and, and a calling back for his immediate son but yeah it's um it's it's a a warning that we should all heed here that um that the call to faithfulness um is a is a right call for our individual lives that God is one that we should heed and we are uh, truly blessed uh, to be His people. Therefore, that should have some uh, earthly this time in our lives ramifications of that blessed state of being His children. Um, but doesn't right. seem like He's that interested. Yeah, and that's and thank you for bringing that up because the thing is, I, I do think we miss that all the time. That we we look at sometimes a biblical prophecy, and we think to ourselves, "Oh, prophecy—that's like when you predict the future." And it's like, "Oh, okay, that'll be really good." Like if we if we uh, if we if we can predict the future, that we can use that to our advantage, right? It's like the classic, you know, Biff going back in time and back <laughs> to the future and like betting on all the the games and stuff, right? I mean, that's that's how we. Is it wasn't his name Biff? <laughs> yeah, um, I think. you know that that's how we think of you know this future prediction stuff. But like that's not why God predicts the future. You know, when when God's telling him about the future, it, it's it's to to evoke a certain kind of way of life and a way of living in the present, right? And, and so all of the, all this stuff here, right? I mean, th this is really just saying like, you know, Hezekiah, 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 um, you have not learned. You you need to, you know, go go a different path here. You, ne you need to get away finally, once and for all, like away from all this, make alliances with everybody and like, oh, yeah, we, we say we trust in God, but really just in case God doesn't work out with us, we have a contingency plan. Like, when are you going to stop doing that? And and so, you know, God is, is working on Hezekiah and all of Judah that they would live a certain way. And this is just showing they, they're not having it, which no. is exactly why when, when Hezekiah dies and you get King Manasseh, it just shows just just how bad the condition really is because Manasseh is just horrible, 
just one of the worst kings. He's he's like his grandfather, but I mean, worse in some respects. And yet God is faithful to someone who doesn't deserve it there too, Mm -hmm. um, and delivers him. So in these, um, prophetic, um, um, prophecies here, uh, we have a revelation of the nature of God, that God is always a God of deliverance and salvation. Um, and that's his promise to us. Therefore, um, the, the prophecy, even here in judgment, we get to see that there is a promise of further deliverance, um, uh, alluded to, or at least will be yeah. will be um, opened up later on. Uh, so then we get to f- we get to see that he, um, he's he's the the Lord isn't saying I'm just going to wipe you off the face of the earth. Right. Um, he's gonna he is going to keep his promise. Therefore, as we live now, as we hear of this prophecy, or as you know in our in our day we're living uh at the end of a church year which calls us to look forward to the coming of the lord that's a prophecy so then we're called to know that our deliverer who delivers us on the cross is coming again in that final deliverance so how should we live now well it calls us to live in faith in fellowship with that one who made it um fully trusting in him um, so it's, it's the same the same call for us is the is the is the um, is the call for the people in Hezekiah's day too. Right. Well, so so then okay, so we, we should get to the last verse here because mm-hmm. it leaves the question: Okay, is there any silver lining to this? Right. How is Hezekiah responding to it, and, and what do we make of the words it's confusing. here? There, yeah, there's a couple different ways you can read this here. Right. So let's just let's just look at verse eight and kind of talk about um, you know how we make sense of this. So he gets this this word of judgment from Isaiah, basically saying you failed the test. Uh, you're clearly not trusting in me. You're still doing your whole you know let's recruit Egypt and Babylon thing. Um, you want to you know you want everything to go over to Egypt to, or to, to Babylon to support them so bad. Okay, I'm going to send it over there. Okay, verse eight then. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's the first time I read that, I'm just like, hang on, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, really, that's your reaction? You're like, oh, okay, good news. <laughs> Sorry, grandkids or great-grandkids, whatever the, the right generation is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right? So, I mean, it's... uh. So, I mean, so, I mean, at least, okay, so here's my thing anyway. It's like, I feel like my, my, my first reaction is like, this guy sounds kind of like a little bit of a scoundrel because he's like, oh yeah, sure. Like, you know, I can have peace in my day, but my grandkids are going to be sold into slavery. Oh, that sounds like a fine plan. Right. Um, you, you know, so, so my first reaction reading that was that this just seems really selfish. He's just like, you know, like whatever. Okay, I don't. I don't care. The judgment's coming. I'll be long gone by then, so it's all good. So that was my first reading of it. That like I was just like, wow, he seems really, really kind of bad compared to what I thought. Um, but maybe there's another way of looking at it. So I don't. <clears throat> I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're you're alluding to kind of the two veins of interpretation that have kind of come down to us over the years. So the one vein is this guy. This is. Um, this is not good, right? Uh, right? That he would act this callously to, towards his children. Who does that, right? Um, we generally want to leave things. Our motivation as parents is like we, we kind of would like it. 
the life of our children to be a little bit easier, better um, than our life. And we want to leave them a legacy of faithfulness. It doesn't seem like that's the word that he's given here. So that's one line of interpretation, bad guy. Another line of interpretation is to remove the sense of, um, of ego here for Hezekiah and that he's being called um, to see that the Lord is, this is a good word from the Lord, that here he is going to still deliver them even as he's been confronted in his sin and that Hezekiah knows that he was wrong. Um, and so that he's saying it is good because there is peace because God is, God is the good and he is acting in, um, in grace. So in the meantime of his lack of faithfulness, God is still good to him. And that is a good word. So I think there is a way to read it. I, you know, I, I kind of alluded to, I, I, I had to be honest, I'm still struggling of how to really read this and maybe it's all of them. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, if we read it in the, in the sense that it is, it is a good word from the Lord. Think about it from his, from Hezekiah's perspective. Um, God has, hasn't forgotten. And that'd be the worst thing. God hasn't forgotten Hezekiah. He is still going to grant him blessing that therefore, if he hasn't forgotten him, he's still being gracious to him. Um, undeserved, unmerited grace um, towards Hezekiah. Yes, there is something for the people uh, to still deal with, but the people, as we see going forward, if we take a look at, you know, the kings, right. um, they've got their own uh, lack of, of faithfulness to deal with too. Right. Um, and their participation in, in humanity's fall into sin and their lack of, of trust. Here, I think what Hezekiah's uh, acknowledging, if we take it in that vein, is that God is good and he's been good to him, which is totally undeserved. Right. And and I think, honestly, after after it all, despite like the way I initially reacted to it when I, when I first read this, I, I do think that this is this is here on the end as actually the more kind of hopeful and, and faithful response that this is Hezekiah being like, I mean, it doesn't isn't go into all the details, but I think this is as close to like another confession of sin yeah. as you're gonna get. That Hezekiah is saying, "Oh man, I, I, I did mess up um, again," but you know what? God is good still because wow, he should have just said, "And you know what? We're just gonna like wipe the floor with you right now. I'm gonna let the Assyrians come in." Right, like forget all the stuff I said about saving you from the Assyrians. They're they're going to come and they're just going to wipe you out. God is mercifully saying, "Yeah, you're going to have to be judged for all this sin, but I'm going to give you some peace still. In the meantime, I'm going to give you a little bit of a break. Um, let you enjoy some of the goodness from my hand, even though you just don't deserve any of it. Like that, there that there is actually this recognition from Hezekiah that that like wow to even be given any goodness at all um is a mercy from god absolutely and i and i think that 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 is the ultimate christological lesson that we should be gathering from this that in the sense of our pride in our hope in anything else when we look to that our eyes are turned away from the cross here the word of the lord calls us always into repentance and faith 
Therefore, whenever we're even being confronted in our sins, we are blessed by that. God, even there, even there we were brought to our knees. What a blessing that the Lord is calling me to confess my sins because in my day, I do have peace, peace through the cross, peace in Jesus, peace in his forgiveness, which then brings me to see that not only today do I have peace with the Lord, but this is an everlasting peace. And and that is a good word. It, it's an ever, um, it's, it, it is the eternal gospel of our Lord. And, and I think we're getting a foreshadow of that here. I, I think you're right. Because this is then, because in the very next breath in chapter 40, we're going to get comfort, comfort my people, and speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Her warfare is ended. It's like this announcement, this prophecy of the end of the Babylonian exile, right? So, I mean, just uh, you know, just a huge jump, huge leap after this, and, and it does seem like this is um, this is this is actually why you have the flashback here in chapter thirty-eight to thirty-nine. Because yeah, we we could have had you know this description of everything that went down here. And then, then finally, you know, God saves the city, hooray, and there's peace. Um, and, and But then that wouldn't have set up very well for chapter 40. Then all of a sudden, like, oh, and hang on, what? They've been carried off into, you know, um, exile and what's going on? But by doing it this way, by, by having this this um, this test with the Babylonians and then Hezekiah failing, um, but then seeing God's mercy in the midst of it, this sets us up very nicely then to anticipate, hey, look, God is still merciful, even in the midst of his judgment, even with the judgment of the Babylonians. I mean, it really is already hinting that there is a resurrection after the death, that there is a restoration after the killing. There, There is an Easter after the Good Friday. It's 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 still there. Um, yeah, there's definitely a blessing that the people, the cross yeah. that the people of Israel have to carry. They will be blessed as we are blessed in the cross of Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. Uh, good having you on. And just I appreciate the way you very methodically helped us unpack the different kind of levels here. And looking forward to having you on again real soon. Thank you. Everybody, Pastor John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Thanks for joining us today. We thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Till next time, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word. Produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.